All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 59, Major Prophets, the book of Ezekiel. You know, I'd love to see a hands, show of hands. If you're driving, please don't do this. How many have really studied in depth the book of Ezekiel? Rich, have you? No, I avoid him. <laughs> How about you, Tom? No, never. Never. Look, when I went to seminary, uh, two different seminaries, and in college, I don't ever remember even like... You know what I remember? Like, Ezekiel's one of the major prophets. That's what I remember. But I don't remember, like, how crazy spot on every word that this guy got came to fruition. Like, and if it hasn't come to fruition, guess what? It's going to come to fruition. And so that, I think that's what blows my mind about these pictures that God downloads literally to Ezekiel. Okay, if we want to go to a timeline for me, Kevin, I think this is really helpful. Okay, Southern Kingdom. I want to just do this. Sometimes we, we haven't done this in a while. You have the northern kingdom, which represents Israel and, quote-unquote, the ten lost tribes. Okay, The southern kingdom is Judah, which usually is Judah and Benjamin, and Judah and what we would say Jerusalem. Jerusalem is usually always lumped in on the bottom. Now, all of this taking place, whether Isaiah we're talking about, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, we'll get into Daniel very, very soon. All of this is after Saul, David, and Solomon. Sounds obvious, but you got to understand something. After Solomon, okay, they then split. There was no more unity, okay? And so what you see is, is a divided kingdom, okay? The northern and the southern, they're divided. The kings are up here, kings are down here. The kings that we've been talking about, okay? Josiah, Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Overall, not very good kings, okay? You have your moments. Obviously, you have to go back to Hezekiah a little bit here for some good kings. But then all of this language, you guys, is prophesying constantly about captivity and exile. Captivity and exile. That's the language that you have. So what's happening is Isaiah prophesied all about the Babylonian captivity. He mentions and alludes to Assyrian captivity, but everything is a, a prophecy. Kevin, did Isaiah ever experience the captivity? No. No. Then you have Jeremiah, okay? Jeremiah prophesies about the captivity. Kevin, does he experience it? Some of it. Some of it. Absolutely he does. Because here's the deal. You got to understand something. There's three deportations. There's three times, okay, that God used, quote unquote, the enemy to bring people into, uh, out of their land and into captivity. Okay. You have the period of time that Daniel was a part of, which we'll get to. Then you have the period of time that Jeremiah, you guys, Jeremiah ended up experiencing actual captivity. We believe that Lamentations was probably written because he actually got to witness some of the destruction of Jerusalem. And then you have Ezekiel, who is literally in captivity. Okay, but here's what's really interesting. He doesn't know yet. We haven't got there yet in Ezekiel. He doesn't know yet that Jerusalem has been destroyed. Okay, but he's prophesying about it. That's where the language gets confused. It actually begins to take place. He doesn't know about it until a runner comes in Ezekiel 20s and tells him, hey, by the way, your city is gone. That's why a lot of this language gets confusing because they're prophesying about it. Some are prophesying about it and then they experience it. And then some are just already in it, even though they don't know it's happened. <laughs> so when you read the major prophets and you don't slow down to be like, okay, what is our time frame? This chart has been extremely helpful 
Uh, it's hard to understand. I have no problem telling you. That's why I want to encourage you guys, please continue to stick with the major prophets. The major prophets, you guys, along with, you know, I mean, the minor epistles, along with the book of Revelation, you know what they really do? They get you ready for the return of the Messiah. I mean, if you did not learn anything about yesterday except yesterday's lesson, is is here you have all the exiles, all of those, they're, they're being punished already because of sin, and yet they're still playing the game with the man of God himself, the, the prophet when are your words going to ever come true? <laughs> Why do I have to listen to the words? When is this actually going to come to fruition? And, and I have to tell you guys, we need to adhere to what the Word of God is saying. And so that's what we were alluding to yesterday in Ezekiel 12. There's this false confidence that takes place. And that false confidence is in the people saying, it's not going to happen. All your words are not going to happen. So they have this false confidence in the comfort, in the false prophets, in that, in that mentality which then really alludes to Ezekiel 13, which really is the false prophecy. It's that false prophecy of the idols, and it's the false prophecy of, it's going to happen, we're, we're fine. Like, that's the mentality. So over and over again, false confidence, false prophecy. Then what we're going to get into today, okay, is that we're going to break up Ezekiel 14, 1 through 11, and we're going to break it up in Ezekiel 14, 12 through 23, and what you'll see here is the first language that Warren Wearsby says is false piety. Okay, we'll begin to talk a little bit. But Kevin, you looked up a definition for us on that. Piety means what, Kevin? Uh, a false uh, set yourself above religiously. Yeah, like there's, there's a spirit of religion. And because I'm a part of this religion, like there's it, but it's fake. And that's what we're going to get into. This first 11 verses, your religion is, is not legit. It's the going to church on Sunday, getting dressed like a Christian, playing the part, but the reality is you have no relationship with Christ. Like, that's the kind of language that we're going to get into in the first 11 verses. They're like, oh, change the channel. <laughs> you know, and then in the last 12 through 23, just so you know, you already know where we're going to go, is that you're going to find false hope. People are putting false hope in this language. So here you have in verses, in chapters 12 through 14, <laughs> the problem with the rebellious house is, the rebellious house is putting everything of themselves in not in the truth. It's all in false. It's all in like, things that are not of the Lord. So if you would, let's dig into uh, in the first 11 verses, this false piety, right? There's some of the elders, they came to me and they sat down in front of me. All right, Kevin, can you go back to Ezekiel 3.24? Ezekiel 3.24, there's different seasons throughout the book of Ezekiel, Okay. Uh, and most of the time he does his quote unquote ministry in the house. Why? Because in Ezekiel 324, it says the spirit entered me, set me on my feet and he spoke with me and look what the spirit said. I need you to go shut yourself inside your house. Why? Because he's too much for people, <laughs> right? You gotta lay on your left side for a long time. You gotta lay on your right side for not as long, 40 days, still a long time. And so what's happening is that then people will come to his house. So when you look into Ezekiel 14, verse 1, it says, Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. This would have that feel of coming to his house. The only time he would leave is unless the Lord gave him a word that he could go release and go out in public. And so here they are. I think this is classic. And I, lo I love what MacArthur says. These are the leaders that are pretending to come and seek God's counsel. Right? It says in verse 1, they came and they sat down in front of me. Right? This is like, they don't have any intention, you guys. They don't, they don't care, but they're going to look the part. This is the problem that many have in the religious community today. So in verse 2, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. I mean, I'll just tell you, you already know this, but God clearly shows the prophet. 
uh, he, he can read through the facade. He can read through their religious clothes and how they look. It says, and the word of the Lord came to me, false prophets. This is really interesting, okay? Son of man, he says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put sinful stumbling blocks before their faces. So idols in their hearts and stumbling blocks before their faces. And then should I be consulted by them at all? It says, therefore, speak to them. Well, let me let me just let me just stop right there. Just even that, okay? What you're going to see really through five verses is that God exposes the religious. God exposes the religious. And what I love about verse 4 is that once the religious has been exposed, Kevin, what can you predict is going to happen? What do you expect Ezekiel to do? They're not going to listen to him being exposing them. They're not going to listen, but even before that, like he's going to release the word. You're right. They won't listen to him, but he's going to be bold enough to call out the spirit of religion. Can I just say, if there's one section that gets me really excited, it's one through 11. I am so tired of the spirit of religion in the church in America today. I'm, I'm exhausted by it. We play these games. And just so you know, I literally have no person in mind. I don't have a church name in mind. But when you travel for 10 plus years and you go into the church after church after church, and you go into communities and you try to get churches to work together, you really kind of begin to see a lot of the realness that the Lord shows you. And nobody really wants to hear you. You know why? Because when you call out reality, it's exactly what happens here. So why am I encouraged by Ezekiel? Because he speaks the truth. God tells Ezekiel, speak to them. Tell them, this is what the Lord says. When anybody from the house of Israel, this is really interesting, sets up idols in his heart, puts a sinful stumbling block before his face, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him appropriately. I will answer him according to his, (laughs) this is funny. I'll answer him according to his many idols, so that I may take hold of the house of Israel by their hearts. They are all estranged from me because of their, because of their idols. So when you think about what Ezekiel is, has seen, elders come into his house, they sit down and they act like they want to uh, seek the Lord. I'm just going to go, I mean, this is exactly what happened to Isaiah. Uh, there's an image in Isaiah 29, 13. The prophet Isaiah describes almost you would think they're quoting each other. Isaiah 29, verse 13, <laughs> the Lord said, because these people approach me with their mouths to honor me with lip service, Yet their hearts are far from me, and their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote. Wow. So in other words, they're going to honor me with lip service, Kevin? Like, you know what that means to me? They sing the songs. It means that they read the things, but their hearts are not even closely connected to what they're singing. Their hearts aren't even closely connected to what they're reading. Kevin? I just, it struck me, so often we think of idols as like a physical wooden thing that they built or made. But in both of these, God addresses the heart. It's not the physical outside things that other people can see. It's where's your heart focused. Kevin, can you go to Matthew 23? There's going to be eight woes. Matthew 23, specifically, why don't you start in verse 13, please? I mean, this is the language that we're talking about. 
It says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You lock up the kingdom of heaven for people, for you don't go in and you don't allow those entering to go in. Now watch in verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses and make long prayers just for show. This is why you will receive a harsher punishment. So can, can, I, just, can I just say something right here? If you have a spirit of religion and you do this to play games because this is the part that you want because you get paid for it or because you're a pastor title or you have a title in the church, Scripture says if you play this game, you're going to actually receive a harsher punishment. This is Christ talking here. Now watch what it says in verse 15. What do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? You travel all over land and sea to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as fit for hell, for, for hell as you are. So in other words, it make, you make it a big deal, but you're traveling everywhere and then just for one. And <clears throat> same thing here. And then if you get into verse 16, Scripture says, Woe to you blind guides who say whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by his oath. It continues on in verse 23. Why am I reading this? Because I'm telling you guys, one of the biggest issues in the church that I think we can learn from Ezekiel dealing with elders that look really good is I think this is a spirit in the church. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faith. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. In other words, you talk about the money, you talk about the resources, you take care of that aspect, but you forget about the justice, mercy, and faith, the things that actually matter as well to the Lord. And then he says in verse 25, what do you scribes? Scripture says, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup, look at this one, and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. These are the elders sitting before Christ. These are the scribes and Pharisees sitting before Christ, and Ezekiel calls them out on it. I don't know, at what point can we ever just say enough's enough? Please stop with the show. Finally, he says in verse 27, he says, What do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. I think what Ezekiel is experiencing in his house with the spirit of religion, with these men, this is, it's this false piety. And there is an eighth one. It does say in verses uh, 30, it says, well, I guess you could start in verse 29. What do you scribes and hip, uh, Pharisees, hypocrites? You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophet's blood. Uh, you guys, over and over again, you talk about one thing, but you live a different. I don't know. To me, if we could actually understand this, we might actually see a revival. And that's really what Ezekiel gets to. He's talking to the elders. God then gives them a word. So he says in verse 6, I'm back in Ezekiel 14, verse 6. It's the same language that needs to happen to the scribes and Pharisees. It's the same language that needs to happen, you guys, to the church in America today. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says, repent and turn away from your idols. Turn your faces away from all of your abominations. In other words, there's still a chance for a time of repentance. There's still a chance of Holy cow, I can't believe I've gotten this far away from the Lord because I have focused on whatever. Kevin, you had, you said you were looking up, you know, these, these images online about like a golden calf, but around the neck was these necklaces around the golden calf. And, you know, some of these things, you guys, they could be many things. An idol could be, could I have a bigger church building? An idol could be literally, I actually want the best stage in my church. An idol could be, I actually want to sell, uh, become a New York Times bestseller because I want to be the most well-known Christian preacher today. 
An idol could be, hey, by the way, we've received the most funds for the missionaries. And so I could say I'm, I'm the pastor that brought this in. I think you get the point. Like sometimes these idols are are for our glory, not his. And that's really what's happening with these elders before uh, before Ezekiel. That's what's happening before the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites before Jesus. And I think, you guys, it happens to us. I go into my garage, you guys. I had to clean my garage out this last week. You want to know why? Because I've got too much stuff. It drives me nuts. That's an idol. <laughs> I'm telling you, when I collect this stuff and I keep collecting it because I think it's going to help my kids, or we're going to have fun with our neighbors. And then, you know what? Then that becomes my focus. And then it happens slowly. That's what's so crazy. I think I cleaned my garage like three months ago. And I'm like, how did this happen? Three months of collecting stuff in my garage. Like, if we're not careful, these things become idols. You love your car. Praise the Lord. But how much money you're putting in your car just to fix it up to get it to the next point? And then, hey, well, let's add this to my car. Or, hey, don't talk about lifting my truck. I like my truck. Like, But my point is, is if you keep putting your stuff, all of your stock in your truck, it's this quiet little build of an idol that begins to take away your focus from the Lord. Well, I don't have to, I don't have time to read, Kevin. I don't have time to read. That's because we come up with so many other stuff. I think this is the idols that we're talking about. But we go to church. It looks good. I look good. I got good church clothes. <laughs> Let me just say this. Here's a reality check of your idols. And this is not to a church. This is to me. This is maybe to you. Like if you're doing more things and more time than you are with the Lord, maybe you don't ever really have a desire to be with the Lord. I'd rather get up and run. I'd rather get up and, you know, read my fiction book. I'd rather get up and... I don't fill in the blank, whatever it is. If that becomes more of our priority than spending time with him, I would just say, Lord, is there an area that I need to repent? Ezekiel's tired of it. And he calls them out and they're sitting right in front of him. Hey, tell us a word from the Lord. (laughs) We'll get one. All right. (laughs) He says, repent and turn away. Turn your faces away from your idols, your faces from all your detestable things. He says in verse seven. For when anybody from the house of Israel, from the foreigners who reside in Israel, separates himself from me, setting up idols in his heart and putting a sinful stumbling block before his face, and then comes to the prophet and inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know what that means? Warren Wiersbe says this way, God will judge you. He'll judge each one of you individually, personally. I would just say, no, thanks. Verse 9, I'll turn against that one and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from among my people. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. But if the prophet is deceived and speaks a message, it was I, the Lord. Man, this is where it's going to get kind of interesting. Okay, hang in here. If the prophet is deceived and speaks a message, it was I, the Lord, who deceived that prophet. I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him among from among my people Israel. Okay. This is exactly what it's saying. John MacArthur says, God will deceive a false prophet only in a qualified sense. Okay. I want to read a quote here because it says, it says this uh, prophet who is deceived was deceived uh, from what? From who? From the Lord. Right. So John MacArthur says, when one willfully rejects his word, God's word, he places a resulting, this is interesting, a cloud of darkness uh, or permits it to continue to hiding the truth so that the person is deceived by his own obstinate self will. Okay, hang on here. This, this gets interesting. This fits 
with the same principle, okay, when God gave up Israel to the evil statutes, okay, the counsel that they insist on as they spurn his word. In other words, when people refuse the truth, he lets them seek after their own inclinations and then gives them over to falsehood. In other words, he allows it to happen. He clearly allows this to happen. This is the wrath of, interesting language, abandonment. It's, it's also showing that he allows us to make a choice. Absolutely. So it says in verse 10, they will bear their punishment. The punishment of the one who inquires will be the same as that of the prophet. And then finally in verse 11, in talking about this language of false piety, which it looks good, in order that the house of Israel may no longer stray from following me and no longer defile themselves with all of their transgressions, then they will be my people and I will be their God. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So it's kind of like they have to go through this punishment. They have to go through this wrath, Kevin. So it says, then they will be my people and I will be their God. Okay, so what you have is in the first 11 verses in this rebellious house, Ezekiel is literally has elders sitting before him and they're just acting religious. Those people make me nauseous, by the way. Like, we don't have time to play church. If Jesus is coming back for his bride, the question is, is do you even care? Oh, yeah, Jesus is coming back. Now, let me just tell you, the next language of 12 through 23 in Ezekiel 14 is, it talks about what Warren Wearsby says as false hope. Okay, in verse 12, again, here's what happens, Kevin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel again. You gotta just wonder if this guy's like a funnel. Okay, Lord, next. You know, it's just like, next, number. <laughs> you think the elders are still sitting there? You know, that is a great question. It doesn't imply that he's talking to them, but there's no reason to believe uh, that they're not. So, Ezekiel 14, verse 12, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. You can even put again. <laughs> Son of man, if a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its supply of bread to supply famine through it, and to wipe out both man and animal from it. Okay, keep going if you can. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would only, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. This is the declaration of the Lord God. All right, this is kind of really, really intriguing. Okay, let me unpack this. Okay, and there's... <laughs> Uh, I think this is a really, really interesting one. So my hand, okay, God says, I'd stretch out my hand against it, okay? What we're going to see is four acts of judgment, okay? We're going to list these. We're going to come back to them, okay? One of them is going to be this language of famine. Now, in verse 15, okay, this is a part of the language, okay? You're going to see what's called ravages by wild beasts, okay? I'm going to just put down wild beasts here. You're going to see judgment coming through the sword. Okay, so I'm going to wipe out both man and animal. There's this language, let a sword pass through it. And then in number four, you're going to see this language of pestilence. Okay, we'll get into all of this language. These four type things are what we would call God's form of judgment. Judgments. Okay, make sense? Here's what's interesting. In verse 14, though, these judgments are coming even if like... 
some of the top three, like, you know, how, like the NBA or the NFL, they have the top 100 players of the year, right? You get the NBA top 50 greatest of all time. Like if you were to come up with some like top 15, right? Bible guys, top 25 Bible guys, I'm pretty sure Noah would make the list. <clears throat> you know, he, he did build an ark for a long time. <laughs> how about Daniel? Daniel is a classic, you know, Daniel in the what, Kevin? The lion's den. Daniel was not afraid to jump in with the lions. That guy's crazy. And then you got Job. Job experienced boils and more boils and more boils. And then what else does he experience? Death with his family. He loses everything. His friends hate him. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job, let's just say they're in the top 20 of all time, okay? Even if these guys were alive, guess what? They still wouldn't be able to deliver Jerusalem and his people from being destroyed. Now that that kind of kind of actually says a lot to me. So I want to unpack this. Just I, I did an interesting study on these guys. Okay, and this is really kind of interesting. Uh, let me just say this: Noah, Job, and Daniel. Okay, first of them, all of them, Kevin were righteous. These three guys, Noah, Job, and Daniel, no matter how uh, righteous they were, Kevin, if you go back to Ezekiel, no matter how righteous they were, Scripture says uh, they would deliver only themselves and not they would not still be able to save their people. Famine was coming, wild beasts were coming, the sword was coming, and pestilence was coming. Kevin, who's it coming to? It's coming to those that are getting ready to be taken into captivity. Jerusalem's going to experience destruction, and Noah and Job and Daniel could not save it. Here's just a couple other facts. And I'll just, I'll say these without going into the, to the lessons. These three guys, they were tested. The flood, the lion's den, painful trials that they all went through. How about the faith that these guys had? Why do I want to emphasize this? I think one, it's really important that Wearsby points these out. But you want to know why I think it's important? Because I pray for revival all the time. I cry out for revival and restoration and renewal all the time for this country. And it seems like sometimes even even my prayers aren't breaking through. That's not meant to sound anything of confidence or arrogance or religious. Don't take it like that. Like I'm just, I'm crying out. And if these guys couldn't do it, then maybe there's a little hope that mine isn't either. Does that make sense? It's like these guys were the top upper echelon of all of the scriptures. And if this didn't happen, God was so determined to bring judgment to his own people because he needed them to come back to them, to the Lord. So when I look at all of this, he goes through these different types of judgment. And really, you guys, that's what it is. It's famine, wild beasts, sword and pestilence. All of these things are going to come. All of these are going to come. It says at the very end of verse 20, even if Noah, Daniel and Job were in it, as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, they could not deliver their son or daughter. They would only deliver themselves by their righteousness. And then he says this in verse 21, for this is what the Lord God says. How much worse will it be when I send my four devastating judgments against Jerusalem, the sword, the famine, the dangerous animals and the plague in order to wipe out both man and animal from it. Scripture then says, even so, there will be survivors in it. So here's that language, you guys. Even though all of the judgments coming, what do you expect? Remnant. That's what these guys were. They're remnant. There's going to be some survivors left in it. Sons and daughters who will be brought out. Indeed, they'll come out to you and you will observe their conduct and actions. Then you will be consoled about the devastation I have brought on Jerusalem, about all I have brought on. The remnant will grieve. Kevin, this is the point. No longer is this false piety. No longer is this false hope. They will grieve over the fact that 
of all that their people have done. And it will actually bother them. It says in verse 23, they will bring your, you consolation when you see their conduct and actions. And you will know that it was not without cause that I have done what I did to it. This is a declaration of the Lord God. In other words, they will see that God's judgment, this is important to understand, was vindicated. They will actually believe that what God did was legit. And he's going to spare some people to see this. And no matter how, how many righteous people are there, God's still going to do this in order for Jerusalem, in order for Judah to experience, yes, the wrath of God, in order to get his people back in line. It's a long story to get to the answer. The prayer is, yes, will we see that God is trying to get our attention? No longer can we do it for show. We have to do it with our heart. Okay, guys. Um, it's Exodus 14. We didn't get to really Exodus 15, but hey, we'll continue on with the journey tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.